0: Oh, gracious God, we come to you as your people at this 1030 family, grateful that we can come together as your people, relying on your grace to strengthen the days ahead. And we pray that as we look at this familiar story that you would give us new eyes to see, new ears to hear, and hearts to receive so that we might be empowered to walk the changed lives you call us to. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Well, today, as we return to our series in Joseph, the Gospel According to Joseph, we will note that this whole story is in two parts. Part one is the story of the loved and favored son, Joseph, who we've been talking about for the last month. Part two is about his brothers, who are the chosen family. Part one is about how the dearly beloved son was humiliated and exalted. We followed the story of how Joseph came to his brothers and the brothers hated him because he was the loved and favored son. They threw him into a pit and sold him to traitors who took him to Egypt. But God blessed him and exalted him. And made him the governor of the lands, seated at the right hand of Pharaoh, with authority over the entire land of Egypt. You see, Joseph is very much like Jesus. The part one story shines the light on Jesus Christ, the dearly loved and highly favored son who came into the world to seek his brothers and sisters, suffered our rejection and yet has been exalted to the highest place where he reigns right now as prince and savior. Acts 5.31. And the brothers are very much like us. So while part one points to the journey of Jesus, part two points to us. It's the story of how God redeems rebels like us through the beloved and favored Son. Part one's about the Redeemer. Part two is about the redeemed. And keeping this framework in this story throughout the next few weeks will help you see better for the next few weeks. Part one is about God's great purpose for his Son, Part two is about God's gracious plan for his people. So last week we had the biblical aura frame, A-U-R-A, that the kids, I told you our kids gave Kim for Mother's Day this aura frame and it changes pictures automatically. It's really quite cool. Well, it's another aura frame today, but the aura frame goes from The troubled king and the forgetful servant and the wise advisor, Joseph, to the brothers who are not at all like Joseph. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to chapter 42, but we're going to go back and look at the earlier chapters that we didn't even go over earlier because I wanted to focus on Joseph because I knew I was going to come to this sermon today and it'll be enough once you hear about them. Number one, they live the opposite of the disciples' life. And you can see this in the four pictures that God gives us. The first picture is Simeon and Levi in Genesis 34. You see, Simeon and Levi made a deal with the Shechemites, the extended family of a man named Shechem. And Shechem had fallen in love with Simeon and Levi's sister, Dinah. And their brothers were outraged that that this arrangement had occurred, and so they made a deal with Shechem that they would intermarry with the Shechemites, which the Jews aren't allowed to do. And so in order to intermarry with them, they demanded that all the men of Shechem be circumcised. And so while the Shechemites were recovering from their wounds and unable to fight, the sons of Jacob launched an assault and the men of the city were completely destroyed. And it was an outrage. It was an atrocity. Jacob says to Simeon and Levi in chapter 34, verse 30, you have brought trouble on me by making me a." St- Think to the inhabitants of the land in modern vocabulary boys you've drugged our family name through the dirt no one will believe us anymore which is true that's the first picture second picture is Reuben doesn't get any better chapter 35 37 well Jacob lived in that land now becoming Israel Reuben went to lay with Bilna, his father's concubine. And Jacob, Israel heard of it, Thirty-five, twenty-two. And Reuben was the firstborn son. He was the honored son, the heir. And that act brought disgrace upon the whole family through his sexual indulgence. That's the significance, by the way, of the coat of many colors. Because in giving Joseph the coat of many colors, he's saying, Reuben has forgone the privileges of the favored one. Now I'm putting on the firstborn of my wife, Rachel, and giving it to Joseph. That's why the brothers hated him. The third picture is the story of Judah. Judah. It doesn't get better. Verse 38, you read the account of Judah and Tamar. It's horrifying. Suffice it to say, this is another story showing another one of the brothers who's simply sexually promiscuous. Judah's a man without sexual boundaries, and behind him leads a trail of broken hearts and wounded lives as he sends his way further away, away from a relationship with the living God and the fourth picture is Joseph and we saw over the past month the part one of this story of Joseph how he was sent by his father on a long journey to find his brothers and scripture says they saw him from afar and before he came near they conspired against him to kill him thirty-seven eighteen. Here are men who would kill their own brother simply out of jealousy. But in the kindness of God, Reuben restrained them. So he said to his brothers, 3722, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. Then the Ishmaelite traders arrived, and the brothers sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. 3728. If that wasn't bad enough, then the brothers went back to Jacob, their father, and lied to him and told him that the brother was dead. They dipped the coat of many colors in animals' blood, and they said to Jacob, we found this. Is this Joseph's coat? And he said, yeah, it is. And Joseph, without doubt, is torn into pieces. And on the basis of that lie, that deception, Jacob went into mourning, and he refused to be comforted. He said, I will go to my death in mourning. His whole life was soaked in sorrow because of a lie that was perpetrated by all the brothers. You get the picture? Right? These brothers were a men whose work couldn't be trusted, They were sexually promiscuous. They were prone to violence. And they were liars through their teeth in order to cover up their actions. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. How in the world can men and women like this share in the blessing of God? And how can they be a blessing to the world? How can a person... Who's betrayed trust, lied, broken promises, been sexually promiscuous, lied, and deceived, even loved ones, come to share in the blessing of God. Remember the big story picture here Genesis chapter 12 I will bless you, Abraham, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. The blessing will come to and through Abraham's offspring. That's these guys. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then these ten brothers. These brothers are the great-grandchildren of Abraham. And they're about as far away from the blessing of God as is possible to be. How can men and women like this share in the blessing of God? And what lies before us in these next few weeks, brothers and sisters, is a remarkable story of redemption. And we are going to see how God can transform the most broken lives and change them for our edification and for His glory. It's a marvelous story of hope. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to draw out the themes from this story and we're going to see them as a model of how Jesus Christ, loved and favored Son of God, works to bring change in our broken lives and what his grace can do in us and in the people we love today and today is the first theme the theme of a awake, being awakened and convicted the timeline of this story is so important joseph was 17 years old when he was taken away when he was a slave, he was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, and he's gone through 7 years of famine. So he's at least 37, 38, 39 when the brothers come and the, and they come to him. More than 20 years had passed since the brothers sold Joseph to traders on the way to Egypt, and during those 20 years, these brothers had slipped into the worst of all spiritual positions. And that is, their sins were forgotten, but not forgiven. No doubt, what they do- had done had been on their mind at some times. But we know that their sins were truly never dealt with. They never went to Jacob and said, Dad, we lied to you. We sold Joseph to traitors on their way to Egypt. There was no confession. There was no repentance. No owning up to their sin, and so there was, they just moved on. So here we are, 20 years later, the brothers are looking, uh, are working for their father, but for 20 years, they'd also been lying to him, and every time a family member came in from out of town to visit them for Thanksgiving, they rehashed it over and over, how Joseph had been killed by wild beasts. They had told the lie so often they probably started to believe it. And if your sins are forgotten but not forgiven, you're in the worst possible spiritual position. If you're troubled by the memory of your past sins, I say it's far better that your sins are forgiven but not forgotten than forgotten but not forgiven. The worst position of all is to be at peace with yourself when your sins are not dealt with. Hope begins for these brothers and hope begins for us when God awakens the conscience and God does that in this story in four amazing ways and it's the same way he awakens us as well. First, God awakens the conscience by disturbing our peace. God often brings into our lives through unexpected events that are completely beyond our control. This happened to the brothers through a famine. Chapter 41, verse 57 says, The famine was severe over all the earth. God often does so to get our attention. The brothers found themselves in need, and this has not happened to them before. When the famine began, verse 1 of chapter 42, Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt. So 10 of Jacob's, Joseph's brothers, went down to buy grain in Egypt, verse 3. And when they arrived in Egypt, we are told, verse 8, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Well, of course... They were Israelites in the truest sense. (laughs) They were just older. They had aged, but they still looked like his brothers. He did not look like an Israelite. Scholars tell us that he had clean shaven. Probably his head has been shaved, oiled. Egyptians would wear mascara on their eyebrows, accentuate their eyes. And wear robes signifying that he is an Egyptian lord and master and has authority. That's not the young kid that they threw in the pit. And so the change that begins is a remarkable change that he says. In verse 17, if you keep reading, you don't have it in your bulletins, I encourage you to read it this afternoon. Read the whole chapter. It's quite remarkable. Joseph puts them all together in custody for three days. So you can imagine the brothers are in prison and they're thinking, well, here we are in a situation we never thought we'd be in. And perhaps there are ways in which God is breaking into your life and disturbing your peace. Things seem to be going along so well. Then something unexpected and quite beyond your control happened. Some trouble comes to your family. Some financial trouble. Issue with your health. A secret is revealed. A job change. Everything is changed and life will never be as it was before and it's through this event God has disturbed your peace why? not exactly sure we will know in time but God we know through these brothers is waking them up and what he's saying to them this has got to change in your life Otherwise, you're going to miss out on God's blessing. Number one, he awakens and convicts us through disturbing our peace. Number two, he awakens and convicts us by arousing our memory. We see this further down in the chapter in verses 21 and 22, but I think it begins in verse 1 when their father says to them, He learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, and he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down to buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. Egypt. Of all the places we have to go, we have to go to Egypt. So what did they think about? That's where we sent Joseph. Now that old man who thinks Joseph is dead is sending us there. That was a word that they never thought they'd hear. I wouldn't be surprised. It had been 20 years since they'd spoken a word about it in their home. Then when they arrive in Egypt, they're thrown into prison. And now their memory is aroused. (laughs) says in verse 21 and 22 for no good reason we threw our brother in a pit now for no good reason we've been thrown into prison so they said to one another in truth we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen that is why this distress has come upon us it's all coming back to them now God brought their past actions to mind, and their own sins are alive, fresh, and real, and present. Their conscience is awakened, and they see what God sees and knows what God knows. And so in verse 22, Reuben answers them and said, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. He disturbs our peace, and he arouses our memory. Third, he speaks harshly through his word. This is mentioned twice. Verse 7 that Steve read for us. Joseph saw his brothers, rec- Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Keep reading down the chapter in verse 30. They say this to Dad, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies. It's striking how often the first words Jesus spoke to people in the Gospels might easily have turned them away. The example today in Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus and begged him for help. He didn't say, come, my sister, I will heal your daughter. What did he say? I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. How encouraging is that? But she didn't take no for an answer, did she? Then Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's, she would have heard that from Jews a lot because that's what Jews call Gentiles, dogs. But she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. <laughs> Can't wait to meet her, huh? And he says, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. So let me try and explain what you might experience, something very similar. You come to church on any given Sunday, and what you hear is not comfortable. It brings to mind things you would rather forget, and the Word of God is disturbing to you. For we live in a world that that says every experience that we have Must be calculated to make me feel good. And a shallow person comes in here and hears the word of God and says, I'm out of here. I knew I didn't like that guy. But one way to describe the Bible is that it always has two parts it has the law and it has the gospel. And it tells us what God requires and it reveals to us what God provides. Luther emphasized this in every message that he ever preached. Why does God speak law to us? Why does the Holy Spirit convict us of sin? Why do you have this experience of sitting in church feeling like you might not be the good person that you think you are? Because only when you feel the weight of the law will you see your need for Jesus Christ and the gospel and the good news. Paul explains in Romans 7 the law is good. Because it's through God's law that we can discover our own rebellion, our own sin. We'll do it our way. And when we see what God requires of us, we see that we are nowhere near what he calls us to be, even when we're at our best. If you feel convicted of sin today, thank God for it. It's a mercy. To be at peace when your sins are not dealt with is the worst of all positions. Because when God speaks to you through his word harshly, which is what conviction of sin feels like, it's actually the greatest kindness. The great irony in this story is that the man who speaks harshly is the brother who loves them and whose undeserved favor will actually save these brothers. God may seem to be against you, but he is totally for you in Jesus Christ. When you come to know who he is, you will see that all that he says and all that he does in a completely different light. Because all along, he's been working for your good. So he speaks harshly, He disturbs our peace. He gives us a memory, arouses it. And the fourth thing he does in awakening, convicting us, is he shows us his everlasting kindness. Joseph spoke harshly to his brothers, but he could not restrain his own love for them. He was overcome by emotion and had to leave. In verse 24, if you keep reading down, It says, he turned away for them and wept. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey, verse 25. This is a sheer act of grace. (laughs) The Bible says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4. The great Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane said it this way, It is commonly thought that the preaching of the holy law is the most awakening truth in the Bible, that by it the mouth is stopped and all the world becomes guilty before God. And indeed, I believe that this is the most ordinary means which God makes use of. And yet to me, there is something far more awakening in the sight of a divine savior freely offering himself to every single one of us in the human race. The fascinating thing here is that the brothers don't know what to do with this amazing grace. They don't know what to do with this kindness. If you keep reading in chapter 42, they don't understand. They completely misinterpret it. One of the brothers finds the money that he brought back into his bag that they had to buy the grain... He says, "My money's been put back. Here it is, in the mouth of our sack." And at this, their hearts began to fail them, and they trembled to one another, saying, in "Verse twenty-eight: What is this that God has done to us? Elohim, the God who is." Friends, this is the first time that the brothers have even mentioned God since chapter thirty-four. Twenty years have passed first time This is the first time in the entire story that the great-grandchildren of Abraham mention the name of God. And right now they think he's against them. <laughs> they don't yet know the gracious purpose he has for their lives, but at least they've been awakened. God's at work. He's disturbed their peace. He's aroused their memories. He's spoken to them harshly. And he is showing them their undeserved kindness and favor. Has that ever happened to you? I meet a lot of people who tell me they're Christians. You know, Jesus never called his followers Christians. That came in the book of Acts. Right? What did he call his followers? Disciples. Disciple means learner, grower. You're growing in this grace. Our mission statement is no, grow, serve. How are you growing? Have you been awakened and convicted of your sin? It's the first mark of a disciple. Of course, this happens in different ways and at different times, to different degrees of intensity, to different people. So how would you know if this has happened to you? For when you are awakened, you come to the clear conclusion that you are an absolute rebel to the core, a sinner. and You will say, I have sinned enough in my life to already deserve the everlasting condemnation of God. That's the first thing that happens to a follower of Christ. And when you come to that conclusion yourself, all the pride all the swagger, all the self-righteousness, and all the pretense, gone. And you will feel that you're, the only, you're, you're a person whose only hope is in the living God, Jesus Christ our Savior, and you rest in his amazing grace. And hope will have begun for you. Pride is what stops us. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided in the Black Sea off the coast of Russia, and hundreds of passengers died in these cruise liners. And there was icy waters below in which they died. And news of the disaster was further darkened when the investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technological problem that caused it. It wasn't that they were caught in deep fog or the fail of the radar system. It's the captains refused to steer and give way to one another. And by the time they decided, okay, I'll give way to you, it was too late. Each was too proud to yield first. But when they came to their senses, it was too late. Friends, friends, He provides for us what he commands. Let's rest in his amazing grace as we are awakened and convicted so that we can be changed forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this wonderful message. Although it may be hard to hear, We know that it's in this amazing grace we can rest because of the resurrection, death and resurrection of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that even though we sit under the law and it's good, it's your mercy which leads us to repent and follow. Lord, we repent. We turn and we will follow you. And Lord, as we do so, transform us into your likeness, that you might be glorified in our midst, and we would be fully edified as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.